Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Freaking first cut. Welcome to the First Cold Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is a very special episode. And let me bring in my partner in crime, Kyle Poole. Hey, bud. What up? The man of the hour, right there, down there at the bottom of the screen. That's Trevor Immelman. He is captain of the international team. He's going to be taking over for Nick Faldo as lead golf analyst at CBS. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to join you guys. Man of the hour. Kind of <laughs> like that. Well, we finally got an Immelman on here and knows what he's talking about, so that'll be <laughs> oh, that'll be good. Oh boy, he's gonna make you pay for that one eventually, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, we've learned we've learned he doesn't forget anything. Uh, that Mark, yeah, we we know about that. Uh, Trevor, let's start with this. How are you feeling? It's probably been a probably been a busy couple of weeks for you here. <laughs> uh, a little longer than that. Uh, busy, busy six or eight months, uh, Rick. But uh, feeling good. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, feeling some relief. We, uh, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the President's Cup. I have a ton more clarity with exactly where my team is at and how we're going to be able to uh, to build and get ready for uh, for an awesome opportunity in Charlotte. I, I want to start with this, Trevor, because I think that there's been so much negativity around, well, just in golf, but around the President's Cup with everything that's going on with live and, and everything else. I, I want to know instead of what, like how the live stuff affects you negatively, what benefits does it provide um, that you might not have had otherwise with guys leaving? And those might be, <laughs> there might not be a ton because there's some really quality guys that are not going to be playing in the president's cup, but I'm interested if, if you've been able to look at the other side of that and say, okay, this stinks, but like what, what's the good that can come out of this? Really? It's, it, it provides a lot of younger players with an opportunity. It yeah. provides a lot of players with an opportunity to grow, learn about themselves on a huge stage in the game of golf, playing against uh, an extremely strong, tough opponent in the American team. And so that's really what I look forward to seeing now is how are these youngsters who in some cases don't have much experience at all, particularly on a, a level like this, how are they going to respond? In a lot of cases, you don't really know. Shucks, I, if I throw myself into that equation, when I played my first President's Cup in 2005, or when I was coming down the stretch at the Masters in 08, you don't really know how you're going to react until you're in that spot. 
and yeah. you learn a heck of a, of a lot about yourself. And so the positive for me will be able, will be seeing how these kids are able to handle, these youngsters are able to handle that moment, particularly on American soil against a crowd that I imagine is, uh, is going to be uh, stacked for, for the Americans, as they rightly should be, uh, playing here in the U.S., so we've got a lot of hurdles from that standpoint. It's going to be fun to see how these guys react to that. Uh, Trevor, you mentioned the word relief a little bit. Obviously, we are very close to kicking off this this President's Cup here in a, in a couple of weeks. But your your job, it's, it's weeks, it's months, it's years of preparation. And I'm sure you had some level of insight that, hey, your, your team might get some shakeups late in this process. I, I imagine you've got... Scenario A, backup plan B, scenario C, all, all that stuff you've been considering as of late. Yeah, absolutely. More, more than B, B and C, to be honest, Rick. <laughs> uh, I, I would be a bad captain if, if I wouldn't have been ready for uh, all sorts of obstacles and adversity. And I'm really thankful for a few things. First of all, the, the backroom staff, so to speak, that we had built over the last couple of years. They provided a lot of insight, a lot of support um, and stability for me. The assistant captains that I picked have been amazing through this whole process. But yeah, absolutely relief. Uh, you know, I I've been working the phones like crazy over the last six or eight months. Players, agents, caddies, uh, all sorts, journalists, just trying to figure out exactly what's going on, get a beat on where everybody is at, trying to learn as much as I can about the process so that I can in turn put our squad and eventually our team in the best position possible to try and have some kind of chance against a team that's coming to Charlotte with a ton of confidence uh, for many reasons, just the way they played and also how they performed at the Ryder Cup. So relief for sure because, uh, you know, in a certain way, I'm glad it's over. I knew that the the players that left or the players in question uh, were considering that. They were open and honest with me about that process and were keeping me updated on that process. And now that it is over, I can go ahead and rebuild with 12 players that are young and hungry and, and that want to be there, want to be on our team. And really, at the end of the day, those are the 12 that, that I want to be there with. I want to be there with the guys that um, did what they needed to do to make sure that they would be in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, one event that Rick and I talk about all the time as being one of the most underrated of the last four or five years is the 2019 President's Cup in, in uh, Royal Melbourne. And it was, it was extraordinary. I mean, it, it was, I think coming off of the 27th, I guess it was 2017 president's cup. It didn't, it didn't seem like it was going to be super close. And then it got really close and the golf course was fascinating. What, what were your takeaways from the way the international team competed in that particular president's cup that you're going to try and apply again in, in uh, 2022? Yeah, it's, that was one of my favorite golf moments I've been part of was that 2019 President's Cup. And I think we have 2017 to thank for that, quite honestly. It was, it was such a beatdown uh, in New York that we, we had to figure out something new. And I give so much credit to, to one of my mentors, one of my good friends, Ernie Els. The way he went about it, he decided to, in, in a sense, really rebrand our team 
Yeah. Came up with a logo with, with, with the shield that I'm wearing right here with the flag, with team colors, and really allowed us to build from the ground floor again. And he came with a lot of fresh ideas, enthusiasm, excitement. He was still really relevant with the players that were on our team, having still been competing really, uh, sure, at the later end of his career and about to join the champions, PJ Tour champions. But um, all the players still respected him, knew him, had a personal relationship with him. So the guys really rallied around all of his ideas. They hung on his every word and uh, went down to, to Royal Melbourne, which, like you touched on, was, was an amazing venue. And uh, we could feed off of his energy. He was a massive part of that. So there is a ton in answering your question that we uh, have now taken from that experience, from that learning experience, and are implementing it. Really, we felt like um, after that event, even though we were thoroughly disappointed to quite honestly cough up the President's Cup on that Sunday, we were leading the whole week long and just couldn't quite get it done when it mattered on the final day. Um, you know, when we looked back on that, there was so much that we could learn and we felt like we had created a foundation from which to launch off, off of. Now, uh, this was before COVID was a thing and this is before another tour came into the picture. <laughs> so those two things sure have made my job a little tougher over the last yeah. couple of years. But nonetheless, uh, we are still implementing many of the things. Uh, and it's not really even implementing. I would say that 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 is our game plan. That is our strategy. That is what our team does. It's part of us now. We know what we need to do to be able to prepare and go out there and put ourselves in the best position possible. I, I want to mine into some of the guys that you are going to have on the team. I want to talk more about that rebranding because I, I do love it. But you, you kind of talk about this, Trevor. COVID, a, a, a rival tour. I think it would be human to have a little resentment that this is happening in your year, right? I mean, wh where do you fall? Where do you fall in that? <laughs> I would struggle with that personally. Uh... I don't know. Resentment might be a little strong of a word. You know, I'm one of those guys that's, that believes everything happens for a reason and there's a greater good and you just got to keep rolling with it because if you get too stuck on something or affected too much by something, you allow yourself uh, to get into a deep, dark hole at times. And you got to be careful with that. Life is so fragile um, the mind at times can be so fragile. Why would you even want to open yourself up to that? So, you know, I really just trust the process. I leaned back on a, a couple of questions ago. I've had such an amazing support staff through this, my wife at the top of that list. And we've put years of work into this moment. So I got to keep rolling with it. I got to keep dealing with the uh, adversity that is thrown in the international team's way and figure out ways over it and around it and underneath it how are we going to deal with this stuff because at the end of the day my team is looking at me for some leadership and guidance and stability so if I'm out there um, saying crazy stuff and acting all sad and down uh, why would they want to get in line and bring their best and get motivated yeah. 
be practicing their butts off for the next few weeks. So, you know, I'm going to do my thing regardless. And the 12 players that, that pitch up in Charlotte are going to be prepared. They're going to be rested. And they're going to be ready to go. They know exactly the mountain that we have to try and climb. But at the end of the day, who, if you're a competitive at heart, and we know all of these players are, this is how you get to elite level on the PGA Tour. If you're competitive at heart, who doesn't want this opportunity to play against maybe the best team ever assembled in golf? Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. I'm, hey, I might, I might pick myself with so I'm pumping myself up right now. <laughs> I mean, for you, Trevor, you got. It sounds like a, it sounds like a great deal. If I'm a kid that's grown up in South Korea or in in in, um, in Johannesburg or in Brisbane or wherever, Canada, you know, Toronto. Uh, who who wouldn't want this opportunity to come onto one of the biggest stages? play against one of the best teams ever, maybe the best team ever on their home soil. It's what you dream of as a kid. We're going to have that opportunity here in about three weeks. Is it, is it difficult for you, Trevor, to not um, – uh, you, you've, you've played for so long and played at a high level for so long. Is it hard to be out of control of, of a lot of things that are happening on the course because you're the captain? Or, I mean, I know you haven't actually – been the captain yet so maybe you don't know the answer but you have been around it and it's just different you know than playing and I'm curious about if it like how difficult that is for you to not uh, I can see it in you like to want to be out there like how, how hard is it to not be able to be out there yeah I'm okay with it I've had I've had a few small tastes to be able to see how I'll react one will be when I was an assistant captain down in Australia uh and then another has been you know watching my kids compete in sport, watching my son compete in junior golf and high school golf and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty calm with it for a number of reasons. I know that in the last couple of years, I've done every single little thing that I could do to, to put these players in a position to when they get to Charlotte. They're going to have all the information. They're going to be taken care of and looked after in ways that – they can be single-minded and focused on competing at the highest level and playing to the best of their ability that week. So I can, I can be calm in the fact knowing that I've, I've put them in the best position possible and then enjoy the spectacle of watching them fulfill their potential. So I'm pretty chilled out. I, I'm at this point to where I've done everything I can do and uh, now it's up to them to bring their A game. Uh, this is the first cup podcast. If you're listening and you enjoy it, as we bear down towards the president's cup and a new PGA tour season, uh, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're getting all the notifications when we go live and find us anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, Trevor, I want to talk about a couple of the guys, uh, that, that we have here that are, are seemingly going to be quite impactful on your team. You mentioned a couple of guys from South Korea and the, the, the exciting name that seems to, uh, at least, and play every week and then uh, play well is not necessarily Sung JM could also be Tom Kim, right? <laughs> Who just bursts on the scene, uh, establishes himself as, as probably a, a key member of your squad. And I'm not sure a, a larger kind of worldwide audience is ready for this guy. 
I tell you what, he is high energy. I've been fortunate enough to spend quite a bit of time with him in the last few months, really since the Open. Uh, high energy, just a great young guy. Awesome to be around, super duper intelligent. Uh, he's lived in, in five countries, speaks three languages, uh, speaks amazing English, which is a huge asset to us. Uh, particularly me, because I don't have the ability to speak Korean. So, uh, you know, we've we've been using KJ and people like that to try and help us, translators to try and help us uh, all get our message across. But he uh, is not just uh, going to bring great energy and going to bring great play, because he's been on such good form, but he's going to be a nice conduit for us uh, with other South Korean players to be able to help that communication factor and break down some of those cultural barriers that in the past, uh, at times, we've stumbled with. So mega excited to have him on the team. Uh, he's, got, he's got a great, great game. Still has some to learn. Look, let's, let's be honest. The guy's 20 years old, and the last uh, six or eight months has really come out of nowhere and put a stake in the ground as you know, one of the top 30 or 40 players in the world. So still has a lot to learn, but the upside is tremendous on this kid. He can be a global superstar. There's no doubt about it. Uh, one of those guys in, in what I've learned about him so far in the last few months that I think is really going to thrive in that kind of atmosphere, the team atmosphere, having his buddies and his brothers around him, uh, and then also, you know, that match play environment when it's, you know, you're staring your opponent in the face. So he's one of the guys that I'm really looking forward to to seeing how they handle the week. I'm actually shocked that Rick didn't ask about his boy, Sung Jay, because uh, there's, there might be no bigger fan on the, on the planet than Rick Gaiman of, of Sung Jay. But I, I am curious about uh, Sung Jay Trevor because he's been a guy that <clears throat> he's made a bunch of money. Uh, he's won a couple times. He's had a really solid career. He's still super young. I, I think that people don't realize maybe how young he still is. Is there a comp from when you were thriving and playing on the PGA tour that, that you would throw out there for Sung Jay? Like just, I, I just, I want somebody to be able to anchor him to, to compare him to, because I, I can't, I can't figure it out right now. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, from when I was coming through, you know, he, he, you could maybe throw a, uh, a Sergio Garcia out there. You could maybe throw an Adam Scott out there. What I mean by that is, okay, maybe not the same charisma and certainly not the same charisma as Sergio because he has a total different demeanor. He's, uh, you know, much more buttoned up, much more cool, calm, and collected. He's, he's not running around the place doing the scissor kicks and uh, giving huge fist pumps and stuff like that. But I'm talking about game-wise and talking yeah. about making an impact on the tour immediately as soon as he came uh, onto the big tour. It really has been incredible when you consider the guy's just 24 years old and what he's done in the last three or four years and, uh, and how he's competed, the consistency with which he's competed. Uh, in a lot of ways, still, believe it or not, in my opinion, underrated and underappreciated for the results that he consistently churns out. 
he is a legit superstar. And I anticipate him, uh, you know, he's already had a couple close calls, if you want to use that term, in majors. Remember that one Masters in, uh, yeah. I want to say, 20, 20, the November Masters, yeah. when he was tied for second. Um, and a couple others that he's been in and around there. That's the next step for him now. Next step is for him to to really be one of those players that when, when you guys are doing your podcast leading up to the majors and everybody's making their picks, you guys are like, Sung James, my guy. You know, he starts getting thrown in that conversation with McElroy and Thomas and those kinds of players. I think he's, he's, he's right there on the verge of that. Unbelievable player. And when, when you watch him, I, I, I've spent a lot of time with him, watched him a ton on the range, uh, watched him on the course. The, the quality of the ball striking, the straightness of the ball flight, so little curve in the ball flight, towering high shots. Um, there's very few out on tour that have his skill, skill level, in my opinion. Uh, real quick, I just, Rick, I just plugged his name into the Data Golf uh, player <laughs> projections. And the comps are uh, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Justin Thomas, Adam Scott. Wow. So and I was David, right on the one. David Duvall, Charles Howell's in there, Hideki. So those are, I mean, <laughs> it's a good, a good crew to be associated with. Yeah, that's the, the straightness of his golf ball is what when they had at, they had it set up at the range at the country club, one of those top tracers and every shot he hit, it just it never moved. It didn't move an inch in any direction. I was stunned by it. Um, it's jarring. It's jarring when you watch it on the range, ball after ball that just looks like nothing can move it. It doesn't matter about wind <laughs> or anything. It's just like it's like a missile. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It is. Uh, you've got four captain's picks that you will make next week. First, I'll just ask, do you want to give us an exclusive and tell us who they are? Right? <laughs> I don't because we will be announcing that here early next week. So you can find out with everybody else, unfortunately, but it was a good try. Thank you. It was worth a shot. I have to ask. Uh, so what, what types of guys are you looking for? Right? Because you've mentioned, you know, the, the, the rebranding and guys, they're buying into the crest, right? I see it on tour all the time. They've got it on their towels. It's on the bag. They're, they're buying into it. And I'm sure there's a pool of 20 or 30 guys or more that you're in touch with all season long. So what, what are those four going to have in terms of qualities or things that are going to make this international team better? Yeah, we, um, we really have done a great job in the last couple of years of building a squad uh, of really 25 players. And so all 25 have been involved in all of our get-togethers, functions, dinners, um, hangouts, so to speak, uh, because I, w I wanted to create this team and squad environment, not just for when I have to make final decisions for this President's Cup, but also how can we start building some momentum and bringing players into the fold that we think that could play in Canada and then play in Chicago and then play... Uh, wherever else all of these President's Cups are in the future. So I feel like I have a nice group to pick from. Uh, I, sh I surely don't have the wool pulled over my eyes from a standpoint of knowing that a few are not available anymore in, a, in that squad. I've been living that for the last six months. And so that is what it is. But, you know, when it comes to making picks, you're looking for a number of things. You're looking for... 
matchups with the golf course. Uh, what have we seen from Quail Hollow in the past? How does it play? How will the weather make it play in late September? Does it suit long hitters, short hitters, straight hitters, good putters, scramblers? What is it? Uh, what type of player unlocks uh, Quail Hollow? You're looking for team chemistry. That is massive, in my opinion. Uh, in the past, we have had players that haven't quite been able to meld as well into the team. And it, uh, it absolutely affects things throughout the week. It's a, it's a long, demanding week. So you want everybody to, to get on really well and, and meld well together. So that's a big part. And then there's so many points up for grabs in the team aspect, whether it be the alternate shot or the best ball. So how do you create some matchups there that are favorable to you in conjunction with the golf course? So those are all the things we're taking into account. We have, uh, like I touched on a couple of times already, a great uh, backroom staff that have been been very supportive and very helpful with all of that. So we feel like we've done a good job. You're going to have to wait a couple more days to find out who they are. And I will say this. If, if you wanted an exclusive, I will say this to you. Um, if players are not eligible to play on our team, I get extra picks. So interesting. There may be more than four picks is what I will let you know. Well, thank you. Man. Oh, that is that interesting. Makes, that makes me assume there, you're going to have uh, six picks, if my, <laughs> my mental math is correct. You, you may be assuming correctly. <laughs> <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Trevor, we, uh, this was probably, I don't know, three years ago or so we had dinner down in Florida. I was there for the PGA show and I remember I was leaving and you were talking about your, uh, plans over the next few weeks and how you had to get ready to, to play at the masters. I think that was the last one that you, that you played in was in 2019. And I'm curious about when for you, you felt this sort of transition coming from being a, PGA Tour Pro, uh, from playing in major championships, from playing at the highest level into, okay, now is the time in my life where I'm going to be a President's Cup captain, where I'm going to, uh, you know, move over to broadcasting and, and sort of that stage of my career. Was there a moment for you or was that transition, did it happen over a longer period of time? I would say it was right around that time, Kyle. I, I remember that evening when we were at my parents' house, yeah. had a great dinner, uh, it was about that time. I, I knew that um, 
my uh, season of playing at the highest level was starting to come to an end. I wasn't really competing all that much on the PGA Tour up until that point. It was only really a few few events uh, per season. I was playing my, the majority of my golf at that point on the European Tour or DP World Tour now. And the, the TV aspect was starting to gain some steam and I was starting to get better and better opportunities at bigger events. And yeah, I was getting ready for that 2019 Masters really was grinding because obviously the event means so much to me and for me to make the cut there is you know was a big deal towards the end yeah and so i was working hard on that and was was happy to do that that week and turned out to be a pretty historic uh masters with tiger winning his fifth green jacket <laughs> uh, being down there with my son yeah. Uh, right at the end when Tiger came through and was high-fiving all of us. Uh, that's a moment that I'll never forget, that my son will never forget. We speak about it every now and then. And uh, But I knew that was sort of coming towards the end. And then shortly after that, because it was, uh, you know, at, towards the end of that year when CBS was starting to figure out you know, what kind of adjustments, if at all, they were wanting to make with the broadcast. And they asked mm-hmm. me to to join the broadcast for 20. Uh, you know, really, that was an opportunity that I was not going to let slip by because I knew that in my mind, my golf career was pretty much behind me. And I was thoroughly enjoying the process of getting into broadcasting, starting to uh, learn a new skill, enjoy the camaraderie of that team aspect as well. And if you're enjoying it and you get offered an opportunity to work the masters, it's, it's not something you turn down. <laughs> I jumped all in and kept going. Uh, well, that's a natural transition, Trevor, to obviously the big news recently that you're going to be uh, taking over the league golf analyst spot after Nick Faldo retiring after 16 years, you mentioned it, uh, you know, just in 2019, 2020, when you're starting to get into this now to take, this seat, I mean, it's a it's an impressive meteoric rise. I mean, toot your own horn here for a second. Why do you think it was you that got tapped for it? I don't know. Maybe everybody else wasn't available. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it, it, you're you're right. It 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 came quickly. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It's a position that you know when I decided that TV was going to be my next career and I was going to go all in like, like I, I touched on earlier. Shucks. That's, that's one of the places you want to be if, if you're in TV and you love golf. So I'm not going to lie. It's something that I had thought about and wondered about, but it absolutely wasn't something that I thought was going to happen this quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought it was going to be years down the road. Um, uh, and so when it did happen, I was a little bit caught off guard. Um, maybe it still hasn't quite sunk in because I've been so immersed in, you know, us finishing the regular season. And then, uh, you know, once the broadcasting for me finished at the Wyndham and uh, then I was jumping back all into the President's Cup. So maybe it hasn't quite sunk in yet. Uh, actually had a, a meeting this morning with some colleagues from CBS 
and was thinking about it a little bit more and you know the goose goosebumps start to come back because it, it's uh it's a huge deal for me I, i'm 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 really humbled by the opportunity and and cannot wait to get out to san diego and to be there with the team with the rest of the team and um try and entertain people that's what it's all about you know how can we get viewers to tune in and and enjoy watching golf at the highest level on the PGA Tour. That's, uh, that's what I really look forward to. It's what I think a lot about. How how difficult is it when you're in the when you're when you're broadcasting to balance? Because as a as a major winner, I want to hear like, man, what do you what what is this guy feeling? What is it like? But you also don't want to say, well, back when I played, you know, you don't mm. you don't want to go too far in that direction. How difficult is it for you to balance, uh, not only talking about yourself, but also giving perspective into what players are thinking at any given time. Yeah, I've, I very rarely, to be honest, uh, like to talk too much about myself from that aspect on a broadcast. If I ever do, please shoot me a text. You have my number and tell me to, tell me to change it up because that's not what I'm looking for. But I'm just trying to provide some kind of insight to the viewer of either how difficult this shot is uh, the options that they have, the pitfalls that could potentially be there, maybe foreshadow a little something to look for, maybe bring in, okay, this is what I've seen in the last three holes. This guy has missed three fairways in a row to the left. This is what I'm watching with this swing. Keep an eye on his front foot here on the swing. Let's see if he does this. How can I find a way for the viewer uh, to go, okay, and lean into the TV and see, oh, let's just see if this guy is right. Let's see what his front foot does. And then after it happens, misses another fairway to the left. I go, okay, the reason for that is as this is happening, the face is closing or the path is moving too far out to the right, and that's creating that left miss. So in a way, entertaining the viewer at times, in a way, informing the viewer at times, uh, Really, that's what I'm looking for. And how can we create a conversation with the rest of the team? How can we bring in the walkers? You got, you got my brother and Colt and Dottie down there. They're, they're down in the thick of the action. They can feel the atmosphere. They can hear the caddy player conversations. They can see all these little things that we can't always see when we're running around chasing other shots. Uh, so when we get down there, how do you lean into what they seeing and learn from what they've got that then possibly I can jump in on the back of and add a little something extra to that. Those are always the sort of things that I'm rather looking at than saying, oh, well, 20 years ago, I was hitting five <laughs> iron into the screen. Whereas, you know, nowadays these guys are hitting five irons 220 yards. Yeah. yeah. And quite honestly, I was, I was hitting, you know, four irons and hybrids. Uh, in 2008 and 9, 220 yards. So the game has moved on and changed in certain aspects. So um, I would rather not speak about myself and rather through my understanding of the modern game, through my understanding of the great players of this era and the skill set that they have now, how can I then use that to explain to the viewer what's What's just happened or what's about to take place? Yeah, I find it I find it interesting that you use the word foreshadowing because I think that's and I think that's right, especially when you get like, you know, the last nine on Sunday, it almost becomes a story that you're telling, right? And you're setting up 
X, Y, and Z is going to happen if he wins. And if he doesn't, you know, who else could slide in here? It almost becomes a story that the audience is, is receiving from you. Absolutely. And if you take a guy like, let's just use Will Zalatoris as an example. So Will Zalatoris been knocking on the door for 18 months to two years. Um, and coming so close, all these seconds, seconds in majors, seconds in all the biggest tournaments on the PGA Tour. And you get to Memphis now. And now he's back in the hunt at the first playoff event. And maybe you say coming down the stage, well, remember the last time he was in this position? He started missing a few tee shots to the right. It gives, it gives people something to watch for, to think about. It gives other people in the team something to play off of. And uh, those are the kinds of things that I think are interesting when I'm at home watching golf because I watch golf all the time. I love it so much, and I appreciate the skills that these guys have. I know what it takes to get to that level in sports, so I have a ridiculous amount of respect for it. Uh, so those are more the lines that, that I like to, to think along when I'm doing a broadcast. And look, a ton of times I fall short. I can't even begin to tell you. It, it, it reminds me so much of when I was playing, when I had opportunities and when I was, I was near the lead and I had opportunities to win and you screw it up. And on the flight home or in bed that night, you're, you're lying in bed going, oh, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Why did I buy into insecurity in that moment and not make a committed swing? I do the exact same with the broadcasting. You, I can't even tell you the amount of times we go to commercial or after the show, I'm lying in bed and I'm going, oh, you know what I should have said? You know what I should have done? You know, uh, you know how I should have thrown it to commercial or thrown it down to the ground? Um, so I fall short a ton of times, but it's absolutely something that, um, that I'm aware of and always working on and looking to get better at. Um, so that's where I'm at. I love that's, it. That's uh, I do that too. When I misspell a word in a tweet, I just lay in bed <laughs> and I'm, I'm just <laughs> devastated. I can't believe I misspelled Oosthuizen again. It's only been <laughs> 10 years. And you get to that point to where, you know, you've got like a hundred likes and you're like, oh, I can't delete it now. I'm just going to have to let it sit there. <laughs> hey, we were talking, uh, this is uh, a little off topic, but kind of kind of related. We we're uh, I wanted to get your take. Well, two things, really. Rick and I had a discussion on earlier this week about the shot of the year. You saw probably as many, probably more shots than we did uh, just from broadcasting. Ooh. So what stands out as your shot of the year and then maybe even related to what we were talking about earlier uh just who the most underrated player in the world is because i think it's i was actually talking to somebody today i was like you don't understand when you watch these guys on the range you're like i don't know how all of them don't win every week they're so they're so good and yeah. you have a uh not only an appreciation but also an understanding of what it is to be one of the top players in the world. So yeah, just best shot of the year. And then most underrated guy that, that, uh, people don't talk enough about in golf right now. Uh, my shot of the year was probably Scotty Scheffler's hole out final round third hole. Okay. That's what I had that short list. Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> that is so ridiculous. That, that shot. Yeah, it, it is that, 
where that pin, yeah, it was. So, so let me run you through exactly what he's going through there. He has got an extremely tight lie, which, which freaks out 99% of our golfing population. He is 10 to 12 feet below the level of the green. So he can only see really the top half of the flag. So distance control is so much more difficult. The flat space of green that he has to work with is about seven to eight paces long and extremely fast. And then the bank that he has decided to try and bounce the ball into is steep and the grain is right into him. So he's made the decision to try and drive this ball off of a tight lie so he has to have perfect contact into this bank and he's into the grain. So it is extremely easy for that ball to take a much softer bounce because it's into the grain and it's coming with all of that spin to take a softer bounce, stutter its way to the top and then come right back down to his feet. Yeah. Any, any unconfident, <laughs> normal person <laughs> is just blowing that uh, pitch shot 30 feet out to the right, giving themselves a straight downhill putt that they then just trying to two putt, get out with a five. Yeah. He's taken the risk in that position. We now know how nervous he was. He was telling his <laughs> wife that he wasn't quite sure if he had, had what it took yeah. to win at that moment. So we know he was mega nervous. And uh, he drives it into that bank with all the spin. This thing pops up, grabs. Okay, it hits the flag going a little firm. But still, <laughs> that shot is its a 12 out of 10. In that yeah. moment, when you start to add all the little intangibles, insane. That that for me was up there with. I also had JT's approach on eighteen at Southern Hills, the the regulation, not the the playoff. But he hits this uh, this approach like it, it, I I don't know I don't remember what the yardage was, but it like when he hit it, he was just screaming at it, and it lands like five feet off to the to the right of the flag and. He has a putt for a, a three there on 18. And it was just, it was one of the best shots I've ever seen live because I think people don't understand. And I don't even understand what players are feeling, but even like what everybody is feeling on over the final few holes of a major championship, there's a different feel to when you're on the 72nd hole than when you're on the third hole on Thursday. It, it's just, it's so different. And it's, I can't imagine how difficult it is to hit shots under pressure like that that are are difficult shots without pressure and then with the pressure they're just insane yeah that that was a beautiful shot uh also extremely difficult because of distance control yet again it was so warm so the ball was traveling like crazy yeah and he's hitting probably 12 yards up the hill that whole location yeah. is tucked on a, a piece of green on that right corner that's a, about the size of an suv so he doesn't have much wiggle room there at all. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got that pressure like you talk of. It is an interesting moment because your senses are so heightened. And it's like your nerves are just firing and you can feel and sense everything. But the focus is, is, uh, is it's so sharp. Yeah. 
And, you know, he's going back and forth with Bones. You can see that look on his face. And JT's one of those athletes that uh, he gets that little growl on his face. You know, he's got that, <laughs> he's got that like, angry competitor in him. It's, yeah, it's one of the yeah. reasons why I love it. Off the golf course, he's totally different. Yeah. Um, but when he competes and in those moments, he has that, that little edge that I've always loved. I, I always think that, that um, the real legends compete with that kind of edge. They 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 have this little chip on their shoulder. Sometimes it's sometimes they're just making it up. It's just imaginary. But they create these illusions to get the best out of themselves. I, I feel a little bit of that with JT. It's going to be fun to watch him here over the next few years. Uh, that was a beautiful shot. That was a beautiful shot for sure. And and uh, I also watched it live because I was on 15 yeah. for the broadcast. And so once they'd all gone through 15, I went to the back of the Super Tower. And so I, I was watching all the fans and, and watching him hit that shot. And then seeing um, how the fans reacted when he hit such a great shot in there to whatever it was, 8 or 10 feet. Great shot. Yeah, it was awesome. Special, special stuff, Trevor. We'll get you out of here. We are uh, thankful for your time. We're wishing you all the best luck uh, at the President's Cup, and we're looking forward to seeing you on CBS. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'm a fan of the show. And uh, just going back, you told me underrated. I go back to Sung Jm. Sung Jm is the most underrated. I look for him to step up in the majors here pretty soon. Yep, love that. Fingers crossed. That Rick's awesome. got you've got Rick's vote. <laughs> Yeah. Rick loves that. <laughs> uh, big thanks to producer Jacob. There's all the hard work behind the scenes. Kyle Porter. You can find him at Kyle Porter CBS. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.